Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be discovered or rediscovered. Either Can or. I start over? <laughs> you just, you yeah. just start God over. damn it. I like realized my my notes weren't in the right place. And I was like trying to fix it and then just losing track of everything. Hang on. Oh, was I supposed to have notes? Just I remember kidding. my first time. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your perfect host and professional sympathizer of inanimate objects, Sean Hartman. I don't understand. What does that mean? You don't have to understand. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing it somehow ties into the episode. Maybe just slightly, and I'll tell you about it later. Fine. I'm co-host Jeremy, and I'm not as clever as co-host Sean, but I am now the caretaker of 12 royal corgis, R.I.P. Queen Elizabeth. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> you told me you were going to make an off-color joke. I don't know if I would call that off-color. That's like the slightest off-color joke I've ever heard. I, I had to be very respectful. It's the queen. <laughs> <laughs> this will age very well. <laughs> I am co-host Peter Cook, and I am a big fan of bands that contain a member who share a name with a cult film directors. Oh. I've always said that about you. <laughs> usually comes up when I'm introducing Peter, yeah? Yeah. This is what he's into. And Peter and I are in Chicago... And why is that? Yeah, why are we here, Jeremy? Why are we here? It's because we're with another guest. Guest, show yourself. I'm kind of the only guest, right? That we're aware of, as that of now. That we're aware of. The only guest we gave a mic to. Fair. Uh, well, we're going to have a bunch of folks uh, trying to make themselves guests. Uh, we are at a, on a busy street in Chicago, I'm hearing people walk by and yelling. I'm hearing car horns. But yes, I'm the only one with the microphone. And who are Sorry. you, sir? Uh, eh. <laughs> Not important. Depends on the day. <laughs> are you my therapist? Uh, hey, my name is Scott Schaff, uh, and I am the co-owner of Pinwheel Records here in Chicago. Oh, I think we've been here before. This is a little bit of deja vu. Yeah. Uh, you guys were here. 140 episodes ago. <laughs> That's exactly the number I had uh, in my head. Uh, He's been counting. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, no, you, we uh, all got together a few months before the pandemic. It was yeah, it was February 29th, twenty twenty. So wow. It was okay. A few okay. weeks, couple weeks yeah. before it really. Okay. Before lockdown. Yeah, that was uh, that was a lifetime ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, we had a great time. Uh, well, I had a great time. I'm not going to speak for you guys. We had a great time. Wonderful time discussing uh, the masterpiece that is sports by Huey Lewis and the News. We are sitting uh, right next to the sports section that still lives on here. If you need a copy of sports, this is the store to come to. 
<laughs> can confirm. Plenty of sports here. Huey Lewis is sports and otherwise, certainly. Yeah. You do have a few other records here. I was marveling at the Easy E record on the wall just moments before we started here. You know, we, we do have a few other records other than sports. <laughs> th- thank goodness. Uh, but yes, there is an Easy E EP that is on the wall right now that uh, came in in a collection that had nothing else like Easy E in it. <laughs> The wildness that is uh, stacks of records coming into the shop. You never know what's going to, you never know what is going to come in through that door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what came in the door that you want to discuss with us today of all these options you have? Well, it, it turns out I don't even really like music anymore, but there is a fantastic record by the Corgis called Dumbwaiters that I would love to discuss today. Sweet. And what track would you like to give our audience a taste of? You know what? The band decided that this was the track to start with on the album, so let's just jump right in with track one uh, called Silent Running. great way to start an album especially if you're going to make a kind of quirky early 80s new wave pop record it just comes right out the gate tells you what's going on it's catchy i was i was sold on track one when i heard this the first <laughs> time just a couple short weeks ago i am a, a failed bass player failed musician i don't even know if i want to say musician at all but uh, a guy who owns a bass guitar how about that <laughs> As a bass player, a guy with the bass, how can you not love that first track? I mean, that bass line kills. I love it. Yeah, a lot of great bass lines. I got to say, my first time listening through this album, it didn't immediately grab me. And then I was rifling through some internet videos, and I happened upon a performance. It was their first performance on Top of the Pops. 
They did their song If I Had You from their previous record, and it sounded like a Mojave 3 song to me, and I was just like, that just pulled me in. And and somehow after that, I enjoyed this album more. <laughs> and I think just repeated listens. I feel like this is not a, for me at least, it wasn't like an immediate like, oh, wow, thing. It was more of like a grower. I think it airs ever so slightly on the more into the quirky than you might initially enjoy, Jeremy. True. And but there's still enough strong songwriting there that if you once you recognize the song, you can enjoy it for what it is. I, I grower is the term that I was absolutely gonna use too. Um, you know, when this was introduced to me years ago, I mean I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, there's a big hit on it or what kind of became was it was a big hit at the time or a semi-hit and had a second life certainly uh, later on that was the track that i knew which doesn't really sound like much else on the album so yeah this was uh this was that was quite a surprise and yeah it took a while for it to really hit for me i'm also not like i I think it's fair to kind of call this a new wave record or early new wave or whatever uh that was never like my area of expertise or fandom more so now certainly but uh man yeah Starts off strong. I love it. It's great. And this album is 1980. Yes. Yeah. And the U in a UK album from 1980s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely tell. It's their second record, British band. They uh, the two kind of main members of the group were actually in a band called Stackridge, which was like an early 70s. I don't know, like light prog, kind of folk, kind of whatever. Uh, really hard to categorize band. I would categorize Stackridge as they sound like a 70s version of the Beatles if Ringo had been the primary songwriter. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like it. I think I'm going to give that to you. All right. Also, perfect. if I, if, if I, <laughs> not that anybody needs my endorsement at all. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, too, I think going full circle here i think george martin produced one of the stackridge records that's true he produced yeah. the 1974 album man in the bowler hat which came out in america as pinafore days yes and that record actually kicks ass i i, I don't know if you guys uh, got a chance to kind of dig into that in in your research here but uh yeah I, I, that's a really good record the only thing i know about it is that it is not george martin's favorite album that he ever produced because that would be the Paul Winter Concerts Icarus as we learned <laughs> recently. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I found Stackridge certain songs I was like this rips and then other songs I was like this is very 70s rock. Yeah. That's fair. And and I think an argument could be made that uh, you know, this this Corgi's record Dumbwaiters is an amazing EP and a good album <laughs> i mean i do love it and i think that first half the side one is pretty much all rippers yeah it slows down a little bit on side two but i guess we're jumping ahead here just a little bit but uh yeah yeah i think stackridge is an important part of their story because the corgis feels like a reaction to their time in stackridge where they were touring constantly with Stackridge. They actually opened the first Glastonbury Festival. Isn't that wild? Which is, yeah, very wild. And they were like 
19 and 21 when they started with Stackridge. And yeah, they just got tired of touring. They were not able to garner much of an audience because they were so eclectic and strange and would have these seven minute jams. So the Corgis feels like kind of a reaction to that. And they've said as much. I was reading interviews with them that they wanted to make pop music and they wanted to work in a studio and not have to play a bunch of shows. And that kind of backfired on them. They had some success on the charts, but never really hit big. And uh, they never toured the U.S. And I think I think if they tour a couple times in the 80s, we talk about this band differently. Tough to say. I think they've kind of acknowledged that as much in recent years. But uh, yeah, they're not the Beatles. They they can't just decide to retire from touring and still sell millions of records. It didn't didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, well, I'm surprised they're not even as well known as, say, Squeeze, one of their contemporaries. Yeah, yeah. We were talking kind of before we started here. We have to rely, especially in the kind of pre-streaming days, we have to rely on cool friends to introduce us to a lot of stuff. You know, none of us just like, magically became fans of some obscure band somebody somebody had to kind of tip us off a little bit i am fortunate to have had uh to to have a very cool friend uh shout out to carrie tucker of einstein's sister excellent power pop band you guys should check out please but carrie he 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 introduced me to the corgis uh he actually at the exact same time he burned me a copy of this album and also of uh that stackridge record that we were talking about and uh, he's like, you're going to love this. And it took a minute, but uh, he was totally right. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. He also introduced me to a lot of other amazing stuff that uh, makes me seem cooler than I am. <laughs> yeah, I had never heard of this group prior to it, you saying that you wanted to, so this was your selection. Hey, same, same here. But he knew that I liked Squeeze. That's kind of trying to bring that back here. He, he knew that I liked Squeeze. Uh, probably because he introduced me to Squeeze at some point, so he's like, "Okay, yeah, you like Squeeze. You're gonna, you're gonna definitely like this Corgi's record." And uh, yeah, he wasn't wrong. Did John Cale ever produce any uh, Corgi's records? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think or, Elvis or, Costello did either. Or, or did any of these members go on to host <laughs> popular shows? <laughs> no, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, late night with uh, James Warren. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, everybody knows that show, right? <laughs> no, no. Jules Holland was in Squeeze for those who yes, know. yes. Thank, thank you for uh, explaining. That it's helpful. Yeah, those Squeeze records are great, though. Yeah, they are. I was also unfamiliar with the Corgis before my cool friend Scott told us about it. And then when I was listening to it, though, when the hit song played, "Everybody's Got to Learn Sometime," I was like jumping hey. ahead. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead a little, <laughs> yeah. but I but was yes. like, I know this song, but not quite. And then it dawned on me that I looked it up and it was like, oh, Beck did a cover of this for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And that's actually how I know this song. It's true. Yeah. And uh, so that that's, uh, I think, where a lot of people kind of discovered uh, the Corgis when I was obsessed with Eternal Sunshine when it came out, uh, saw it in the theater like two or three times. And that's, yeah, Beck's version of that song is amazing. And uh, I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't really paying attention to the end credits to see who, you know, got the songwriting credit. Just assumed, here's a great Beck single that uh, I'm going to love. And 
I think that's when I was talking to my friend. I was like, yeah, did you see that movie? How about that? You know, the soundtrack's really good. John Bryan is all over it, who was amazing. And he said, oh, yeah, he's covering the corgis there. Like, huh? What? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that's where we kind of got into it. Yeah, yeah. Sean, what do you say? Let's just let's jump in. Why don't we play? Everybody's got to learn sometime. Sounds like the perfect transition. This is side A, track five. Change your heart. Look around you. Change your heart It will astound you I need your loving Like the sunshine And everybody's gotta learn sometime Everybody's gotta learn sometime Everybody's gotta learn sometime Man, that track, that song, that song should be the biggest song in the world. It's so good. And it's their biggest song, but that's, uh, for, that's about as commercial as they get success-wise, right? Yeah, I want to say it was like, what, number 18 on the, the charts? Something like that. Yep. Uh, and again, if they had toured at all, especially in the States, I mean, I think that's something you'd hear on, you know, the 80s stations today still you know all the time they certainly were predicting a lot of 80s new wave musical trends with this record they're a little ahead of the curve it makes sense that this got big and wish they could have written it out yeah yeah i feel like it was on that kind of leading edge of the sort of new romantic sort of sound with that song in particular yeah yeah not really as much with the rest of the record oh no no I, in the interviews I was reading, I found it pretty interesting that the inspiration for the kind of sound behind it and the message, it's a song written by James Warren, the two main songwriters, James Warren and Andy Davis. This one was a James Warren track. and Also both in Stackridge. Also, but yeah, yeah, these were the same two that were in Stackridge together. We finally named them. We finally named them. 
James had a strong interest in Buddhism at this time, and he saw this as like a message of kind of the universal Buddhist views on humans' relationships with each other. I've always said that about this song. Yeah. <laughs> always. No, but it makes that sense. Was, like that was what it. drew you into it initially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During right. my Buddhist phase. Well, that would make sense using it in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it was a brilliant pick. I don't know whose idea it was for, for Beck to do that track, but I don't know. You put Beck and John Bryan together, and uh, magic tends to happen. And uh, I mean, I love the original, but uh, I don't know the original without that appearance. And I, and I think it's the same way for a lot of folks. And it still has staying power. I mean, people still love that movie, of course. Beach House uh, headlined Pitchfork a few years ago, and they played, they covered this song. I just realized that this is like the template for Beach House. Right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You said that. Uh, And, and, you know, and I think that's a compliment, certainly. But yeah, it totally made sense. We, uh, We got there early, you know, selling records that day, and we heard them soundcheck, and they played that in soundcheck. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this makes sense. Also, this is awesome. There's one song and band that I kept thinking about in comparison to these guys, and I feel like this song has to be at least a little bit influenced by the big 1975 hit, I'm Not in Love by 10CC. Hell yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and fittingly, when I was checking them out on Spotify, the first thing to play afterwards was Godly and Cream Cry, you know, Godly Mm -hmm. and Cream being from 10CC. Yeah, and also, I feel like the Corgis biggest and only hit everybody's got to learn sometime is kind of like a cross between 10 cc's i'm not in love and godly and cream's cry i can see that yeah meeting place between the two absolutely yeah and those are the the biggest hits for each group and not necessarily similar to a lot of the other stuff that they recorded so there's a lot (laughs) of interesting parallels between these guys it's a good point and i've always loved the production in uh, that 10 cc track it's so good very ahead of its time i think and the production on this record is, I think, is really strong too. It's produced by the band and also David Lord. David Lord, quite a character. He did a lot of production. He produced uh, some Peter Gabriel stuff, including his fourth album, Security, I suppose, here in the States. He did XTC, The Big Express. He worked with Kate Bush. He worked for Tears for Fears. He actually worked with Tori Amos later. He did some production for The Pretenders, Echo and the Bunnymen. He's done all kinds of stuff. Still active, I believe. However, I would argue that the most interesting fact about uh, Mr. Lord here is that back in 2015, he was convicted of running a brothel. Oh, wow. (laughs) As one does. He uh, somehow didn't go to jail. He, uh, I guess, in his uh, years doing this, he made about $160,000. But uh, he promised that he'd pay it back, so he didn't go to jail. So he's got that Corgi's money coming in, I imagine. He'll be just fine, you know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> David Lord, what what a character. Yeah, I didn't know it was. we were going that route. Oh, we're going that route. <laughs> we got to have a good sex scandal mixed into a, a podcast episode, if I know anything. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's more there, too. That seems like the kind of thing that happens when, you know, a powerful politician was perhaps a visitor of the place, and he's like, how about you let me off instead of yeah. <laughs> starting that conspiracy here? You just, you just give us a thin promise to kind of do better. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I, I think it's interesting. Peter Gabriel does get a thanks in the liner notes for Dumb Waiters. I am not sure exactly where that comes from. Hopefully, a listener, uh, you know, can can clue us in on that. But I couldn't find anything in my research. May I don't know. Maybe they're just going for some cred. Like, hey, yeah, we're friends with Peter Gabriel. He's cool, right? He was in Genesis. I imagine Stackridge and Genesis had to play shows together back in the day. It that makes just seems like a sense, perfect right? pairing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Peter's another guy that yeah came from like a prog related kind of weirdo band into making these '80s pop hits. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and he was like top of the pile at this point, 1980. I found the relationship between Andy and James, the two main songwriters, to be pretty interesting and fractious as well. (laughs) Did you want to talk about that or should I? Please, please go ahead. Yeah, during this album, Andy was actually supposed to sing on a few of these songs and he just walked out of the sessions and left James Warren to sing pretty much every song in this album. I think every song in this album. And Andy only provided some background vocals. And then he quit the band. And the band kind of broke up, but James Warren put some other people around him and released James Warren and the Corgis material. Yeah, the person I was alluding to with my introduction was Stuart Gordon, who I believe is on this album. Yeah. He, yeah. He is the violin and acoustic guitar player on this album. Ah, okay. Yes. And there's also Phil Harrison on keys and percussion. And that's the main core of it there. Stuart Gordon was not, not this Stuart Gordon, but it was another Stuart Gordon was the director of the cult classic reanimator. Ah, and from from beyond and then had involvement with everyone's favorite honey i shrunk the kids you are so peter that it's adorable <laughs> <laughs> but andy and james they butted heads in stackridge and stackridge ended up breaking up and they're like let's make some commercial tunes and they ended up putting together these corgis albums which that lasted from 1979 to 1980 before they broke up and then in 1992 they end up getting back together and making another corgi's record the world's for everyone and end up breaking up again shortly thereafter getting back together in 2005 and putting out an album called unplugged and then breaking up shortly thereafter and they're also reuniting in Stackridge on a couple occasions during these times. So they just keep like, it's this interesting magnetic force where they like, they feel like they have to work together. I can't they, quit you, man. Yeah, they know <laughs> it's, it's clearly what's going on here. It's good, but like, it's also bad. And then they just break it up. I, I So the Corgis put out a record in uh, 2021, and I believe both Andy and James are, are involved in that. So, and I mean, they've talked about uh, their relationship. It's got to go way back because uh, that uh, Stackridge record that we were talking about, James Warren is all over it. There are seven guys in the band. There are all kinds of photos of the band. James Warren is not there. He's not in any of the photos. He doesn't, I mean, he gets some credit, of course, but... Uh, the other guys in the band have their own individual photos. 
James Warren doesn't. Interesting. What's going on there? Curious. Yeah. I feel like there's personality stuff going on. See, if the corgis got big, I'm sorry to interrupt. If the corgis got big, we'd absolutely have a behind the music on the corgis. And I need this. Yeah. I yeah. need this. This is what we need. Someone out in the world that has the power, <laughs> the reach to do that. Please make it happen. But seriously, this band should have been huge. And I mean, that's that's kind of the theme of, you know, the, the records that are discussed here. Like some of these artists, you know, some of these albums, just everybody should know them. Everybody should own them. But, uh, you know, the music uh, industry is not fair, as uh, as we've learned thousands, millions of times at this point. Yeah. That's and I saw it stated a lot that the corgis and to some extent Stackridge were kind of more studio bands than live bands. Like they just function better in that environment. So I wonder if like just being on the road and playing live shows made it dysfunctional. Like maybe they got along pretty well in the songwriting and recording process. And then when you had to take it to the stage, it just didn't work out anymore. I think there could absolutely be something to that. Well, they specifically said Andy and James said they wanted to do the corgis as a studio thing. And they did not want to do live shows. Like it was mm. very intentional that they didn't tour the US or mm. they barely played anywhere. And that was their intention. And they recognized looking back, like, oh, that probably stunted our chance at becoming internationally famous. But yeah, I, I didn't sense that they regretted it too much. Very few people can be Harry Nelson and have that level of success without touring. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, let me have Sean uh, play another track for us. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump backwards here. Uh, this is uh, track three from side one, uh, and it's called "Perfect Hostess." that and even vocally a little bit i was hearing a little george harrison there maybe mm, that one definitely yeah yeah i can i can hear that for sure it's another track too where like bass is kind of the star of the show which is again maybe why i'm kind of drawn to this record 
this record is is all over the place. You know, again, that first side is incredible. There's a track, uh, the fourth track is called uh, Drawn and Quartered. And it sounds like, I mean, it's like a disco, like it's a Giorgio Moroder track almost. Like it's crazy. I was debating whether or not, you know, we 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 play that. But uh, that's a tease, you know. Everybody go uh, go check out this record and make sure you listen to that track. Yeah. Because it's, it's wild. I hope it does it resemble the feeling of being drawn and quartered no <laughs> nothing I, like that i've experienced both and oh. no, no it's not the same i'm gonna say i can't uh, i can't offer too much in, in my experience there and side two you know side two there are some some great songs for sure there's some more new wave jams there's like a total ballad that it's good but you know it does i don't know if it quite fits in the rest of the record and uh, again, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but uh, the last track is called Rover's Return, uh, and it's an instrumental. And I swear, Gene Belcher must have heard this track because uh, he's very influenced in his work. If we've if we've listened to Gene Belcher uh, from Bob's Burgers. I was going to say, isn't uh, that yes, yes, from Bob's yes, Burgers? Yes. <laughs> you know, his synth work is certainly influenced by uh, Rover's Return, the last track. But it is, again, it's an instrumental. It sounds nothing like the rest of the record. And it was still released as a single, which <laughs> I don't know what was happening there. I don't know what drugs uh, Asylum Records was on, but uh, man, it's wild. Well, it was it was released as a Christmas single, wasn't it? You tell me. Yeah, because I think looked... I'm you. You thought I was an expert on this, and I uh, <laughs> have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, I think I watched that song like on a YouTube video, and it had a 45 sleeve. I was like, wait, this was a single, and then I like looked it up, and yeah, they. Well, they, they released, it looks like, two different Christmas singles. One with them doing the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, with the title track, Dumb Waiters" as the B-side. And then they mm-hmm. did another version of it with Rover's Return as the A-side and Wish You a Merry Christmas as the B-side. See, if I saw a release co- called The Corgis with a Christmas song, I would just assume it was dogs barking Christmas music. Oh, well, spoiler alert, there's, well, it's not Christmas music, but... Uh, there might be some dogs barking in Rover's Return. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's cute enough to be Christmas music. Also, the uh, the forty five sleeve is adorable. It's just three corgis sitting underneath a Christmas tree. Oh man, somewhere there's an Etsy store that just had a great idea for a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on a t shirt. I'd buy it for a dollar. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Sean, what would you buy for a dollar that sounds like the corgis? Well, first up, I would definitely buy Godly and Cream's Freeze Frame from 1979, which features one of my favorite songs by them, a real creepy number called I Pity Inanimate Objects. Oh, your title. Yeah, such as Dumbwaiters, Inanimate Objects. So that that album has a lot of similarities to this in that it's very quirky and is kind of looking forward to the 80s new wave sound. And there's some weird stuff on there, but it's a great record. Another one found while Peter and I were writing handwritten reviews for records we found at the store that no one wanted to buy until we started hyping them up. Way, way back. Second recommended album another one from 1980 split ends true colors i believe i've recommended that one before it's a great album yeah it's uh the crowded house guys before they were crowded house mm-hmm. it's true also the super cool laser etched uh lp that uh is a nice surprise when you pull it out of the jacket 
I don't know why that that's another record. I mean, clearly sold millions of copies, but uh, criminally underlooked. And uh, it's always you see it everywhere. Five dollars. Yeah. yeah. Well, people are messing kind up. Of a, I don't know. I mean, were they technically a one hit wonder as well? They might have had a they might have had another hit. Without looking it up, I don't know for sure, but th- that has the one big hit on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely the kind of group that people like forget what their hits were and just forget that it's associated with that band. But yeah, like the their big hit, which is on that album, the song I Got You, is a good one. Yeah. That's True Colors from 1980, and my third recommendation is a band that got name-dropped several times in this episode, which means that this was probably a good pick, Squeeze, East Side Story from 1981. Wonderful. Yeah, Squeeze are they're better known than the Corgis, but I think they're still pretty overlooked overall, maybe especially more in the States than the UK. I think that's sure. true. Yeah, and you can you can find their records pretty cheap. I mean, people that like 80s music are going to buy Squeeze records pretty fast, but still underappreciated to a certain extent. I think that's one of the rare instances, too, where the greatest hits, you know, the singles collection is actually... It's not everything you need from Squeeze, but uh, it's pretty pretty dang close. Yeah, 45s and under. Yeah, That's yeah. the name of that. <laughs> Absolutely worth owning anybody's collection. It's it's so good. And then you dive deeper into you know the rest of the catalog, which is which is very strong. Yeah, Up the Junction by Squeeze is one of my all time favorite it's songs. So good. <laughs> it's a perfect song. It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't even have a chorus, right? No, no. <laughs> Just... I actually have a recommendation this week as well. As I was working on our mix for our Patreons, that's uh, if you're into Patreon. Patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. Check it out. Little plug there. But I was working on the mix looking for similar artists, and I kind of got down this rabbit hole with Scritty Politi, who I did not really know much about and found they were like a political leftist punk band that for whatever reason got into like 80s new wave pop. But they have an album, their first album, called Songs to Remember that is, I feel like, kind of falls right in between the two that I thought was really, really good. That career arc sounds not unlike your buddy's Chumbawamba. Oh, yeah, (laughs) very much in the, the Chumbawamba mold or... I guess Chumbawamba would be in their mold. Yeah, yeah, they would have followed that, the the KLF, stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I would recommend that one as well if you're into these tunes. It's definitely a similar flavor, poppy, catchy, a little new wavy, but there's like more depth to it than some of the more poppy stuff. And even their own later stuff, I feel like some of that depth kind of was given up for mainstream success but we've all been there we've all been there no judgment i feel like uh maybe he's gotten a shout out in this uh in this podcast i'm not sure but uh howard jones howard jones totally rules his 1985 record dream into action is great it's got things can only get better uh and no one is to blame which are two incredible singles that i love with all my heart so yeah, Howard Jones, huge in the UK and certainly had uh, success here in the States, but kind of a forgotten guy, especially these days. And again, you know, his records are a dime a dozen at this yeah. point. 
and uh, are worth your time, certainly. Yeah, Sean, I think you got into Howard Jones a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I remember putting on some of his music and being kind of surprised at how good it was because a lot of his album covers just seem really generic and weren't yeah. selling me based on the artwork and you drop the needle. It's like, oh shit, there's yeah, there's some James <laughs> on here. I feel <laughs> like Howard Jones is an artist that I judged before hearing. I, I, yes, I assumed definitely. Because certain... you see the records everywhere and they don't look interesting. So it's like, oh, well, all signs point to this not being good. But you just never know till you drop that needle. This is true. You never know. So I have a recommended episode. I think the, the album is mostly dissimilar, but I thought a lot about the band New Shoes and the episode we did on their album Poolside from 1986. There's a group that, you know, also kind of unfairly relegated as a one-hit wonder and went through a lot of different stylistic shifts before ending up a one-hit wonder in the 80s where you just like the sound you've been searching for forever just suddenly fits perfectly where you're at and then it's all over just as soon as it began mm-hmm. yeah that's a that was a fun episode with guest ike turner so yeah recommended to check that one out for our listeners and scott while we're here in your wonderful pinwheel record store is there anything else you'd like to uh discuss regarding how you do things here. We're here in the Pilsen neighborhood in Chicago. We've been here seven years. We're grateful to have uh, survived the last uh, two and a half, three years, thanks to uh, some of our uh, awesome customers. We're still here. Check out our website, pinwheelrecords.com. Our Instagram is kind of where we do most of our stuff. That's just at Pinwheel Records. But uh, yeah, we're always trying to post cool stuff. We, If you're not local, we're happy to ship to you. And, uh, you know, we're always happy to have your support and we'll do everything we can to come through for you for whatever you're looking for. Also, it's not actually Pinwheel Records for the month of October this year, is it? That's true. I, I wasn't sure if we wanted to allude. Yeah, today we, we are in October right now and uh, the store has a Halloween costume this year. Uh, we are now uh, Pizza Power Records. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got uh, some nice displays courtesy of Kim and our friend Jess. They've done some awesome work. Uh, also, shout out, uh, we have a giant Michelangelo action figure from our friends at Toy Du Jour uh, here in Chicago. Please check them out as well. But yeah, we're doing the whole uh, Ninja Turtles theme here, and uh, you know, which is perfect because I loved the Ninja Turtles when I was eight years old, and I'm kind of perpetually a child at this point. So uh, this is fantastic for me. Yeah, I did see that member of the foot clan over there i i hadn't even realized what was happening i was like that's an interesting decor choice yeah yeah you know you come into a record store expecting to run into a foot soldier right (laughs) always well for our listeners when you hear this in november uh you missed out but you'll just have to look towards next year to see what pinwheel records does for halloween we're all out of ideas (laughs) we've been out of ideas for years no no we'll 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 bring our a game once again Awesome. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to uh, set up in here and record with you and talk about the Corgis. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, I'm always psyched to talk about awesome records, especially uh, records that are, you could say, criminally underlooked and underappreciated. That is our thing. Yeah. Maybe. That's right cool. on. And with that, what a, we're, we're going to be going out on this uh, the song we teased earlier. That's right. Uh, number not- one single. You know, when you hear the song, you know, it just screams number one hit. Rover's Return by the Corgis, 1980. Again, if Gene Belcher has never heard this song, I will eat my hat. 
<laughs> it's a Tottenheim hat he's wearing today. It is a Tottenham Hotspur hat. This is true. I I had a, a moment earlier after you mentioned Gene Belcher. I, I had a moment where all I could remember was a moment on Bob's Burgers where he's trying to like get out of a situation. I just. I forgot who who does Funky Town. I have to go look it up. <laughs> and then shortly later, he's like, "I remembered. It's Lips Incorporated." <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably the most uh, I've ever related to a fictional character. <laughs> wow. Again, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up then. So thank you so much for listening to. I'd buy that for a dollar. As we mentioned earlier, check out the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash I'd buy that podcast for more content and that said my name is peter cook my name is jeremy ruggles go to pinwheel records if you're in chicago and i'm sean hartman uh and i am scott schaff from pinwheel records thanks uh thanks so much y'all really appreciate you look forward to having you again scott Ooh, can't wait it won't be so long (laughs) next time (laughs) can you make that promise do we know that there's not a pandemic around the corner we don't (laughs) fingers crossed and we leave you with that audience yes